0: I'm here to, today um, to um, do one of our uh, beautiful attitudes sermons, and um, this is the sixth sermon. Oh dear, um, that we are doing on a series on the Beatitudes. So, in order to guarantee that we actually hear from God in the sermon, let's start out by actually reading um, the Beatitudes again, and that's in um, Matthew chapter um, five, verses. 2 to 12. He began to teach them. That's Jesus. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So um, today I'm going to be looking at um, Matthew um, 5 8, which states, Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God. And Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, the message, um, translates this beatitude as, You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And I think um, Eugene captures well. The reason why this beatitude is so important, by being able to see the reality of God in our lives, we will be deeply encouraged, we will be secure in our identity in Him as His beloved children, and we'll be able to more easily deal with the difficulties that come our way. So my journey with God over the last eight years has focused very heavily on being transformed by His love and being able to experience his love and the difficulties that we find ourselves in. I'm definitely a work in progress. In spite of what Bronnie says, um, I'm deeply aware of the places where I I fall short. Um, But I've come to believe at the very core of my being that being able to experience God in our daily lives is a powerfully transforming experience. So today, as we look at this beatitude, I want to look at the following points. So the first is the correct perspective to have on the Beatitudes. Secondly, what does it actually mean to be pure in heart? Um, The Old Testament sources that Jesus is referring to in this Beatitude, examples of Jesus' teaching on this Beatitude in Matthew, how Jesus changes everything in our hearts and how we can grow in purity of heart. So I think the first point to make is that it is important not to see the Beatitudes as something we have to achieve before we can deserve God's love. The key thing to bear in mind is that we are deeply and profoundly loved by God, and we are being transformed into people that live out the Beatitudes as a result of experiencing this in our lives. Um, I really like what um, Dallas Willard said in The Divine Conspiracy, where he um, says, the Beatitudes are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on to say, these things are obtained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. So it's as we're in friendship with Jesus that we begin to demonstrate um, the Beatitudes in our lives. And so in order to get a better sense of what the Beatitude means, um, I'm going to drop into lawyer mode and um, do some um, definitions. So the first word that we are looking at is um, the word pure. And in the Greek, this is um, kathios and where we obviously get our English word um, catharsis from. And so what this means is to be clean and pure. Um, In the Old Testament, it was about being Levitically pure, so you could enter into the kingdom, enter into the presence of God. It's about being free from corrupt desire, from sin and guilt. And I like like the last bit, which is ready to bear fruit. So this is kind of... This is kind of one of the reasons why God cleanses us from our sin so that we can actually step into the life that he's created us um, to have. And then the second word is um, heart, which is um, is cardia, which is clearly where we get um, our, our English sort of, um, or the medical term, um, um, cardiology, um, dealing with the heart. And so... In the Jewish worldview that Jesus is is talking from, the heart is the center of all physical and spiritual life. It's the foundation and the seat of our thoughts, our passions, our desires, appetites and affections. It also includes our will and character and our understanding and intelligence. So in the Old Testament, the Jews didn't actually have a um, word for brain, and so if Everything that we kind of consider to sort of be in our heart in terms of the Valentine's Day kind of sense of our heart and our brain the the Jews have com- combined those in, into the into the one into the one um, word word heart there so so obviously this is about what's at the center of our being um, and so we just want to move on now to sort of well, where's um, the the Old Testament source of what Jesus is teaching here? Because when Jesus is is um, is giving the beatitudes, he's not giving a new teaching. He's just kind of clarifying for um, for his hearers what God's original intent was in in giving the law and wanting to be in relationship um, with God. So. Um, and, he, but, and this theme is is clearly throughout the Old Testament. And so one of the best examples of that is um, Psalm 24, verses um, 3 to 6, which essentially restates the beatitude in a slightly different way. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean heart, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by what is or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And so so this is kind of the, the sense that Jesus is wanting to bring across. However, the Old Testament is also pretty clear on the actual problem um, in relation to human beings having a face-to-face relationship with God like this. And Proverbs 20, um, chapter 20, verse 9 states, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. And um, one of the most honest kind of reflections on this um, is from King David, who said in Psalm 51, For I have known my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So this is a psalm that that King David um, composed after he was consoled confronted about his sin um, when he'd committed adultery and actually murdered another man as a result of that um, as, a, as a result of that adultery um, and so you can see from these passages that um, the Old Testament followers of God were aware of the difficulty of having a pure heart before God and being in close relationship with him However, throughout the Old Testament, there was also the promise of a coming Messiah who would restore the people's relationship with God by renewing their hearts. An example of this is Ezekiel chapter 36, um, verse 26, which states, "'I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. "'I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh.'" And I will put my spirit in you, and move you to follow my decrees, and be careful to keep my laws. So, and and obviously um, Jesus, in in um, in many ways, um, fulfilled. Well, he fulfilled all of the prof- prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, and and, but he's also um, throughout. Um, The Gospel of Matthew um, taught in a couple of other places about the importance of the state of our heart before God. So the first example of this is in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, where he stated, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers... How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words will be condemned. And there was was another time. When um, some Pharisees and teachers of the law um, challenged Jesus about how his disciples were not washing before they ate, and this was related to the um, Levitical purity laws, Jesus had some pretty harsh words for them, um, calling them hypocrites and telling them that their hearts were far from God. And he concluded in this incident um, by saying to his disciples, um, and this is in chapter 15, verses um, 17 to 20. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So in these passages, Jesus is teaching us that we can understand the state of our heart by monitoring what is going on in our thoughts and what is coming out of our mouth. Now for me, um, one of the best ways of being able to monitor what's coming out of my um, mouth and what's in my heart is actually looking to see what I'm saying in my most intimate and um, personal relationships. What am I actually saying to my kids when they um, make me angry, when, when they're not doing what I want? Um, how am I treating um, Emma in the really um, difficult kind of conversations that you sometimes have in marriage? And so for me, um, that's... It's a a really good way of actually just being able to sort of see where um, Jesus might be wanting to work on areas in my life just by monitoring what sort of, what am I thinking and what am I saying in these situations. So by doing this, we'll get an understanding of where our hearts are before God. But remember that Jesus is also saying, you're not able to earn your salvation by external actions and at other points, in the New Testament, he's saying you need to be born again and you need to have a renewed heart. So, how does Jesus change everything for us, including our hearts? So, the Apostle Paul um, sets out how Jesus changes everything in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so, I'm just going to look at verses 1 to 7 and 12 to 19 where he states, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. For me, these are the most important verses in the Bible. Um, As Paul makes it abundantly clear, everything stands or falls on the historical reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The historical reality of the gospel is this. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and then rose to life again on the third day. At the time Paul was writing this, in 53 AD, so this is only about 20 years after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, there were close on 500 eyewitnesses of these facts, and that the church in, in Corinth could double-check with, and this included Peter, who the Gospels record as being central um, to, the, uh, to the death and, and resurrection narrative, and the church in Corinth um, had a relationship with Peter as well. Paul himself had been a persecutor of the church on the basis that they were heretics, This was because he thought that they were falsely claiming that Jesus was God. Now, after Jesus appeared to Paul, as recorded in the um, church history um, in Acts chapter 9, Paul realized that Jesus was in fact God and therefore followed him as his Lord and Savior. The claim that Jesus rose from the dead is a unique radical claim of Christianity, If it is true, then the classic line from Lord of the Rings, everything sad will become untrue, is also a true statement. So if you're wrestling with the question of whether or not Christianity is true, you'll need to wrestle with the claims that Paul is making in this passage. While I don't have time today to go into the full details of why I believe these verses correctly record a historical reality, if it is something you are wrestling with, I'm happy to have a chat with you after the service and point you to some resources that might be able to um, help you work through that issue. So, but coming back to the sort of thrust of the the sermon, the the um, our desire to be pure in heart so we can see God. This raises the question of: so, how does the truth of Jesus's death for our sins And His subsequent resurrection allow us to grow in purity of heart as we enter into a relationship with Him. Now, the Apostle Paul explains this in his letter to the Ephesians church at at chapter 3. And in that he states, "...I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit." Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too good to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power. That comes from God. So, just as in his letter to the Corinthians, where he is talking about the historical reality of Jesus's resurrection, in this passage, Paul is talking about the reality of what our present relationship with God can look like. Now, this is something that sort of you know um, I've only kind of clicked onto in in the last in the last eight eight years. Um, because prior to that I was um, I was very much about you know being a Christian is about sort of you know believing the right things and if you believe the right things long enough and hard enough, um, your your life will be changed. Now there's there's an aspect of that that is that is true and, and God's truth does does work its way in into your heart. but the, this passage is also, Speaking of a of a reality of of an experience of God's love, um, that is actually about um, transforming your life. I like to think of it um, in an analogy by way by way of marriage. So when you when you get married, you kind of you make um, a vow, and and if you're going to have a successful marriage, then you need to be you need to believe those things that are in the vow, and you need to um, you need to commit to that vow. But on the other hand, um, if you never have an emotional kind of um, connection and and feel an emotional sense of love um, to your spouse, your marriage is not going to be as enriching um, as it could be. And so you've kind of got to hold the two things in tension, not. No, tension's the wrong word. You've got to hold the two things together. You've got, you've, got to commit to your, um, you've got to commit to your vows, but you've also got to build that friendship and that um, relationship of love with your spouse. And out of that, you'll have um, the kind of marriage that God wants for people. So, so how do we actually... Um, so what does this passage actually talk to us about? How we, um, how we have an experience of God's love. So the first point is we need to open ourselves up to the Spirit whose job is to glory, is to um, glorify Christ and remind us about Jesus. The New Testament in passages like Romans 8, Galatians 5, and Colossians 3 tell us that when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, The Spirit has taken up residence in our heart. The second point is um, we need to grow in faith in Christ as He takes up residence in our heart. And He's slowly doing the, the process of making our hearts pure. And so we grow in faith by putting our trust in Jesus as Lord, accepting that His way is best, and following His commands. So that way we, we walk in his way and then we will become the people that God has created us to be. And this growth comes from our rootedness in God's love. So the mistake that many Christians make is that they practically live from the point of view that they must please God before they can experience his love. In truth, the Christian way, the Christian life, is lived the other way around. We need to learn to sit quietly in God's love, and out of this love we will find a desire to please God, much as a loving spouse or friend chooses chooses to seek the best of the other. So the passage also makes the point that God's love has dimensions that cannot be plumbed in this life or in eternity but it can be understood and experienced now. So Paul's life was actually one that experienced significant suffering, but he could also testify to a profound sense of love and acceptance in spite of his sinful past. When you read his letters, you can see that he's actually actually aware of the reality of the fact that he's previously persecuted the church. And you can see, that he deeply regrets those actions, but he also knows that he's been um, loved and justified by Jesus in spite of that. And so this experience of God's love is still one that is available to us today if we simply slow down and seek God through prayer, Bible reading, and silence. Like any relationship that we experience here on earth, on occasions, the felt sense of love will be stronger than on other occasions. However, the Bible tells us that once we have accepted Jesus as our Lord, we have been adopted into his family as his beloved children, in whom he is well pleased. So, as we experience this this love, it will move us towards completion and enable us to experience the fullness of life and power in God. And this is the reality that Eugene Peterson was pointing us to in the message, where he translated the Beatitudes as, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God on the outside world.